0: Ecclesiastes chapter five, one through seven this happens to be the uh, this happens to be the last week we 've made a few changes in our preaching schedule. This happens to be the last week of the secret to contentment and so if you haven 't figured out the secret to contentment yet maybe uh, maybe you 'll have a little bit more clarity at the end of our time together but we 're um, we're ending this because we 've uh, we've just decided pastor Jared's, just listen to the Spirit, and we're going to head into Easter with maybe just a little bit more intentionality we originally had planned on, and we're really excited for how God's going to help us lean into Easter so that we can adequately celebrate the resurrection of Jesus on April 12th of 2020, and we're really excited for that. But this will be the last week of Secret of Contentment, so um, I hope uh, to make it uh, just abundantly clear uh, what, uh, what the Secret of Contentment really is, and uh, in, a, in a few moments, we're actually going to head into uh, communion, and uh, it'll be really good. So we're going we're gonna to plant ourselves in Ecclesiastes, we'll go a few other places, and then we will dive in. We've titled this, The Secret to Contentment, Crushing Religious rituals. Or if you want a shorter version, maybe just crushing religion. Crushing religion. The secret to contentment, crushing religion. And I think uh, if you if you hear that it's kind of fun to say that it's kind of fun for me to say the word crushing. If you hear that maybe that sounds a little bit aggressive. Does it sound aggressive to you, crushing something? That's what I tell my brothers when I'm playing them in video games. We're going to crush you, or a student, or anybody. But I, crushing, that's what we're going to do this morning, is we are going to crush religion. And we're going to crush religious rituals. And if it sounds aggressive, it's supposed to sound aggressive. Because the church, the kingdom of God, is supposed to be an aggressive movement. Do you remember Matthew 16, 18, where Jesus says, when he's talking about the church, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. The church was never supposed to be a defensive spectator kind of movement. The church was supposed to be aggressive, attacking problems where they lie so that we can all grow together. And that's what we're going to do this morning is we're going to crush religion. And we're going to crush these religious mindsets that um, so many of us are to. We're going to answer two questions when we look at these seven verses in Ecclesiastes 5. Two questions, and I think they're really simple. They should be up on the Yep, there they are. Why can religion crush us? I think that's helpful for us to know. Why can religious, how can We'll answer that too. But why can religion crush us? And then, what we to want to know? How can we crush religion? How can we crush religion? That's where we're heading. We're going to seek to answer these two questions, and Solomon does a really, I think, um, interesting way. He has an interesting way of answering these these questions. We'll get to that in a moment. But I think it's I think it's important and helpful to. Define some terms when we when we say religion. What do we mean by what do we mean by that? Um, I'll be I'll be distinguishing in the next few minutes the difference between a religious mindset or religious system and a gospel or grace based system. I'll use gospel and grace as synonyms, and of course they're not synonyms, but they're attached in a very interesting way. But for the sake of our time together, this is. These are the two terms that you'll hear. Religion, and this is the simplest I can make it, is a system of belief in God that is entirely dependent on your action or inaction. It's entirely dependent on your ability to both do the the right things, the good things, and avoid the bad things. Okay? Now, a grace-based system of living... A grace-based system of believing in God is just that, a system of believing in God that is entirely dependent on his actions. And I put up their past actions, didn't I? Nope, I just put up their actions. I think you could probably argue for past. We won't get into that, but this is, do you see the difference between a religious-based system and a gospel-based system? Do you, do you see that? Yeah? Okay, good. Fantastic. That's, that's going to be important. You're going to need to identify the difference between subscribing to religion and subscribing to grace. And we'll uh, flesh that out here in a second. So Ecclesiastes chapter 5, 1 through 7, we'll read it through and then we'll go back through and unpack what Solomon has for us and what God has for us this morning. So here it is, Ecclesiastes 5, 1 through 7. It says, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen, that's an important word. Is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, so they do not know what they're, that they are doing is evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore, let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness, or business and a fool's voice with many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying for it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let, your, let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, but God is the one you must fear. Now, most of you, if you have ever read Ecclesiastes, and I've read through Ecclesiastes a couple of times, most of you, and, and this is what I did the first couple of times, would just read that and be like, um... Okay. So, I'm not sure that, that like applies to me directly. I don't really understand maybe what that's saying. So, let's move on. Let's get to something maybe a little bit more clear. I don't know if you I don't know if you read that or if you maybe maybe you're just really smart and you understand that um what Solomon's saying really clearly. I think for many, we read a passage like this and we're like um uh Okay, so uh what? I don't know if you read the Bible like that, but I like even I like I sometimes read God's word, I'm like, what is what? What like what does that mean? I think what we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna try to go underneath what he's saying and get to the reason of why Solomon says what he says, because that in there is where we're gonna find how we can why religion can crush us and then how we can crush religion. So let's start at the beginning, start at the beginning in verse one, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. This is the warning, this is what sets up everything he's about to say in the next six verses, guard your steps when you go into the house of God and when you should, if you any kind of inquisitive mind, and when you read the Bible, you should be inquisitive. You read that, well, why? Why should I, why should we, why does Solomon say to guard our steps when we go into the house of God? Why did he tell that to his original audience? It's because oftentimes when the people went in to see God into the temple, they went in with a kind of arrogance and a kind of uh, almost Flippancy. They went into the house of God, and he's going to say here in the next six verses, they did two things primarily wrong. They talked a whole lot. Do you talk a whole lot? I talk a whole lot. They talked a whole lot, this is for me. They talked a whole lot, way too much, Solomon says, and then they made promises to God that they couldn't keep. And both of those things, both of those things that they did wrong, Tell us and show us that these people went into the temple of God with a certain pride about them. They went in to tell God something. Not necessarily to listen, but to tell God, hey, here's what you need to hear. Here's what you need to do for me. Here's You need to hear my voice, and then we need to talk because I need some things. Do you see the do you see the? Pr- Pride in that? Do you see the arrogance in that? This is how the people went to the temple. And, and Solomon starts off and he says, guard your steps. Why guard your steps? Because they wanted, they wanted control. And I think that's us. When we go to God, so often we want control. We want to be in control of what happens to us. If you're a type A person, this is really hard for you. Because to give over control is, you want to be in control. We, this is like designed in our sin. This is just a part of us that we have to come. We all want control of what happens to This is why faith is so hard. This is why faith is not natural for any of us. This is why the Bible, when it talks about faith, it describes faith as an in that you and I grow with God. Faith is not natural for us because we want to be in control. And I think a lot of us, I think a lot of us live most of our lives playing hot potato with God. Have you ever played this game? Okay, so we're not going to play it. I'm not going to ask volunteer and we're not going to do that. But I think a lot of us play hot potato with God, especially with our lives. We, we, we say at different times in our life, okay, God, I'll throw you the potato and you can have control of my life. I surrender everything. I'm yours. This is amazing. Your love is so overwhelming. I love you. And you can have control. And then, at different times in our life, we say, God, um, some stuff is going a little crazy in my life. I don't really understand it. Um, I need it back. And the, and the silly thing is, when, when, we, when we decide to take back control of our lives, at first, because we're playing hot potato with God, at first, it's like, oh, this is nice and warm oh my gosh, this is so nice. Like, this feels really good. If you're a cold-blooded person, this feels really good. You're like, oh man, this is nice and toasty. And especially when it's cold outside, this feels really good. And then it keeps getting hotter and hotter. And you realize it's going to burn you. You holding the potato of control. That's what we're calling this. The potato of control I know it's funny, I know. Um, The potato of control, you holding this, is going to burn eventually. It might feel good for a season, but eventually it will come back to hurt because your life is not best lived when you're in control. It's not. But we we do this, right? We play this game and we think, oh, I want control of my life. And the reason why is because many of us have two primary fears in life. We have the fear of missing out the younger generation, what Generation Z or Millennials maybe call it FOMO. Have you heard of this term? Fear of missing out. Um, If if you've never heard that term, welcome to 2020. But FOMO is... uh, FOMO, it's an, actual, it's an actual thing, right? Like, people are, this is why we're so addicted to these, right? This is why most of us never turn these off, is because we don't want to miss out. We don't want to miss out. We don't want to, we don't want, like, stuff to, like, we don't want our friends, or we don't want things to happen, or people try to, try to contact us and then for us not to answer because all of us read into it when somebody like sends you a text and they don't respond for a a day what are you thinking you're thinking like your mind goes crazy my mind goes crazy well are they mad at me like why aren't they answering what's what's going on this is not right like the fear of missing out and we also have the fear of the unknown Unknown, my mind goes to Frozen 2 and into the unknown, but I won't sing that for you. But we have the fear of the unknown. We have the fear, and it's real. The reason we want control, the reason we want to hang on to control, is because we're not sure if the future, which is unknown, is really going to be good to us. And so we take that troll. So we fear the unknown. have problems changing. This is why many of us have problems adopting change. It's because we're not sure if the change that will lead to an unknown future is going to be good or is going to be what we want. And it's scary. It's scary. We can all admit that. It's scary. Every single one of us, I would imagine, has the fear of the unknown. And so we take back control and we're say, we say, we want to be in charge. We want to be, be in our own lives. We want to be in charge of any aspect of our life. We want that because it's so much more comfortable for a time. These people would go into the house of God and they would do these things because they wanted. That's why Solomon says in verse 2, I guess this is the end of verse 1, to draw near to listen is better than to offer sacrifices of fools. Did Did you catch that first part? To draw near to listen. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. That's Solomon's way of putting you in your place. God is in heaven. Everybody look to heaven. okay? And you are on earth. Very different places. For a, Therefore, this is his conclusion, let your words be few. For a dream comes with much business and a fool's voice with many words now what's he what's he saying he's saying you talk because man this is hard he's saying you talk because you're a fool and you're a fool because you think that if you keep talking God will eventually cave and give you what you want and he's saying stop Talk less, listen more. Talk less and listen more, because when you do that, all of a sudden you let go, you throw this hot potato throw back to God. When you listen more, there's something about listening more and talking less that helps you really. And Jesus actually addresses the same thing in the story of Nicodemus. Do you remember this story? The story of Nicodemus in John 3. Nicodemus is this Pharisee. He's this religious leader who knows all kinds of things. His Bible knowledge is probably greater than yours. He knows all kinds of amazing things. about. He's probably, at this moment in his life, memorized much of the Old Testament. He knows the Word of God. and He's made it his life's duty to obey everything plus a whole lot more that the word of God says. And he comes to Jesus in the middle of the night because he's ashamed, but he's curious. And he comes to Jesus, and if you, if you read this story in John 3, you'll notice that he doesn't even have a question for Jesus. Do you notice that? He doesn't even have a question for Jesus. He says, Rab- Rabbi, you must be from God because nobody does the things that you do. And then Jesus, Jesus says something really interesting to him. If you've read the story, maybe you, maybe you know this story. He says, you must be born again. And to Nicodemus's religious mind, that's maddening. Wait, 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 wait. What? Nicodemus doesn't understand. Why does Jesus take him back to the beginning? Because most likely... Most likely birth was the was the last time Nicodemus wasn't in control of his life. Because believe it or not, you did not have any say in your birth. I know that's profound, I get it. But it, you didn't have any, you didn't have control. You didn't. I mean, I guess maybe you... Decided when you were coming out. But, but, but that's it, right? Like, that's, we shouldn't get into that. That's it. Um, Jesus takes him there. Jesus takes him there because it was a place where he didn't have control. And he doesn't understand that. And then Jesus goes a step farther. In John through 8, it's going to be up on the screen for you. This is what he says to Nicodemus. Marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Why does Jesus say that to Nicodemus? And many of you know this, because you can't control the wind. You can't. You can't control the wind. And this is what following Jesus is like. And this is what the love of God is like. And this is what grace is like. You can't control it. You can't. In no way have you ever been able to, by your good deeds or by your avoiding bad deeds, been able to make God love you more. You can't woo God. And here's the truth and here's the reality. Religion seeks control and it will crush you. Control is too hot for you to handle. Religion will crush you. Because control is too hot for you to handle. Subscribing to this grace-based system of believing in God relinquishes control in exchange for faith. One last picture and then we'll move on to verse 4. Have you seen the new Beauty and the Beast? This live action thing? Have you seen that? Have you seen that? Amazing movie. Highly recommend it. Beauty and the Beast, probably one of my favorite uh, Disney movies. But this new movie of Beauty and the Beast has a new scene. actually I had a few new scenes, but one of these new scenes was so interesting to me. I don't know if you can picture this if you've seen Beauty and the Beast recently, but Belle finds her way into the beast's lair in the west wing. She finds her way into the beast's lair and she sees the rose. Can you picture this scene? She sees the rose and she doesn't really know what's going on, why that rose is there, and so Cogsworth and Lumiere and Mrs. Potts find her in the beast Lair. and at first they're like, hey, you need to get out. He's going to get really mad. You should not be here, and then she asks about the rose. Well, what's going on? What's the deal with this rose? And and, and they tell her. Lumiere tells her, well, see, there's this uh, enchantress, and she did this thing because we were bad, and so now um, when all the rose petals fall, then uh, she's going to we're going to be stuck, inanimate objects, all of us. And uh, unless, unless something happens. And she's like, Well, how can I help? And at that moment, Lumiere is so interesting. I, I, I wish I could just show you this, this scene. At that moment, Lumiere is about to tell her Here's how you can help. You need to fall in love with the beast you know the story? You, you need to fall in love with the beast and then we'll turn back into humans and it'll be amazing. But he doesn't even, he's not able to say that because Mrs. Potts interrupts him. And he said, and Mrs. Potts tells Belle, no, that's not for you to, that's not for you to bother yourself with. It's okay. And why? Why does she say that? Why does Mrs. Potts interrupt? Because Mrs. Potts knows something that you probably know. That you cannot control love. You can't. You cannot. We cannot coerce God into loving us more. Because we've done the right things and said the right things and avoided the wrong things. You and I cannot coerce God. But it's so easy to think we can, and every time we pick up this hot potato of control, that's what we're saying: so that we can have the control, so we can cope. Not how the love of God works. Verse four. We need one. verse. Four says, let me turn back to it. Um, wrong way. Verse four says, when you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying for it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is, maybe you've heard this word in Ecclesiastes before, vanity, meaninglessness. But God, this is the conclusion, but God is the one you must fear. Why does Solomon give this warning about how we should use our mouths when we go into the house of God is because we can be so, you know this to be true, we can be so flippant and arrogant with how we use our words. We can be so arrogant to think that we no, right. We can be so arrogant to know that we know, we think we know what is best for us. We think we know what our soul ultimately needs. Solomon says, no, 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 no. No, 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 no. Talk less. Listen more. And then when it comes to making promises to God, you've made a promise to God, right? Like like surely everybody has. God, will you, uh, will you... Uh, well, maybe, you're, maybe this was you as a teenager. Teenagers, maybe this is you right now. Hey, would you help me get an A on this test I didn't prepare for or study at all for? Um, and if you do, I will go to church more. I will read my Bible once this week instead of zero times. And I will. I will do that for you. Like, we've all made promises like that. I've made Solomon said, maybe, maybe, uh, maybe there's a better way. Why? Why? This is getting underneath. Why is he saying these things? Why? Why do we have such a flippancy with our words? Why do we make all these promises we can't follow through with? And that's the truth. It's really hard for you and I to follow through. There's two realities we need to come around, and we're heading to communion here in just to a- come around this morning. And it's religion or religious ritual will never provide us with the lasting satisfaction our soul longs for. You subscribing to a system of belief where if you do the right things and avoid the wrong things, then uh, you're going to be at peace and contentment will be yours. The secret of contentment is for you to control your own destiny. No, that is not the truth. And that is not how we pray you live your life. The second reality we need to come around is we aren't that good at following through because the satisfaction of control is temporary. Holding the hot potato, it's it's gonna feel good for a little bit, but eventually it's gonna burn. We aren't that good at following. Why? This is why. New Year's, do you make New Year's resolutions? I know we've talked a little bit at the start of 2020 about resolutions and not resolutions. And, but this is why when we make goals or set goals or New Year's resolutions, oftentimes they don't last. Mine don't last. Can I just confess that before you? So many times my resolutions don't last because I have these like grand ideas. I want to do this and I want to I get healthy and I want to stop eating Actually, I've never said that. I don't. I don't diet. But I've, I want to stop doing this. I got convicted right there. Um, I want to. Um, this is why New Year's resolutions don't last. Is because we we struggle with the follow through. We struggle because oftentimes there's maybe you've experienced this too. There's stuff that comes in that is way out of our control. That makes it so much harder for us to diet. That makes it so much harder for us to work out. Life changes and and so many of these things happen that we have just no control over. And and we struggle to follow. We struggle to follow through. What's the conclusion that Solomon comes to? It's the end of verse 7. What do we need to do then? What will satisfy our souls? We must fear God. And by fearing God, we relinquish control and we give in to grace. We give in to grace. One last picture and then we're heading to to communion, I promise. Francis Thompson was a poet in the the late 1800s. This man was uh, very smart is an incredible intellectual. He originally thought that he wanted to be a doctor because he wanted to make some money and his dad was proud of him. And so he, his dad sent him to the best schools in England, like the best schools to train him to become a doctor. And throughout his life, as he grew up, he realized that he, he, he actually didn't want to be a doctor. He wanted to be a poet, and when he went to his dad to say, "Hey, dad, I don't want to be a doctor that makes this uh, amount of money. I want to be a poet." And there's like not a whole lot of money that maybe is attached to being a writer. But this is what I want to do. This is my passion. And that conversation didn't go very well with his dad. And so he fled to London, England, with nothing. He was penniless. And over time, he tried to scrounge out a living. He tried to get odd jobs to just make it, but it was difficult. In the late 1800s, and so he ended up homeless. He ended up underneath uh, the bridge in Charing Cross, which, if you've if you've ever been to London, England, is is a is a major intersection. Five major roads in London converge at this one place. They call it Charing Cross, and he was living under a bridge, homeless. He was addicted to opioids. He was a drug addict living right next to the River Thames, and he decided one day that this was over. It's time to end my life. I have nothing to live for. I've, he, said, he said to himself, I made a mess of my life. I have ruined everything, and there is no way, there is no way God would ever take me back because I've spat in his face time after time after time, and so he said, it's time to end it all. And as he was about to end it, all he records in his in his journals that he had a vision and this vision just simply caused him to stop and lo and behold a prostitute who was walking by underneath the bridge saw him about to take his own life and offered him help and she sent him to a couple of a couple who cared for him who helped him with his drug addiction And it was in that time in Francis' life where he realized that the grace of God doesn't begin when we get our life together. The grace of God doesn't begin when you stop doing the wrong things. The things that you and I probably know we shouldn't be doing and saying. The grace of God doesn't, Jesus isn't up at the top of the pit that we all find ourselves in. Waiting for us to get to the tops, and then he'll love us, and then he'll help us, and then he'll show us grace. No. The grace of God is found when we're in the gutter. The grace of God is found at our lowest point. And Francis realized this, and it caused him to write this poem. I want to read for you just a little bit this poem called the Pound of Heaven. The At the time, the the of poetry, the Bishop of London said it was one of the most tremendous poems ever written. Critics of the this is one of the most wonderful lyrics in the language, and the Times of London declared that people will still be learning this poem, "The Hound of Heaven," two hundred years after. I want to read for you an excerpt from "The Hound of Heaven." Listen to the pursuit. Francis says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him and under running laughter. From those feet that followed, followed after. But... Listen to how he pursues God or how God pursues him. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed, majestic instancy, they beat and a voice beat more instant than the feet, saying all things betray thee who betrays This is what religion refuses to accept, and this is what the gospel rejoices in that God pursues us. If you let it, religion will crush you. But how do you crush religion? You give in to grace, you talk less, you listen more. Be careful with your words. And you feel. let Him have the control of your life once and for all, never to be taken up by you again. Celebrate communion. We're coming around a table, supper, and it's our way of. Remembering and reminding ourselves that our salvation is not dependent on our action or inaction. The fact that you are a saved person is not because you're awesome. It's because He is awesome. And we take communion. We remember Because we come around a table and we look at the elements. We look at his broken body symbolized in the bread. And we look at the cup symbolizing his blood poured out for you and for me. And we realize that we don't have and we don't want the control. Instead, we want to give in to grace. And let the grace of God define every word we speak. And every choice we make in the next seven days and every behavior we choose because we trust him, because we know he's good. So in a moment, the ushers are going to come forward and we're all going to receive the elements. You're going to get two cups stacked. One's going to have a little cracker in it. Another's going to have the juice. Please take this at whenever you're ready and then after you're, after you're done we're going to invite you to stand and sing with us but we do need to make one, clarif- one clarifying point is that this, this is for people who believe in Jesus this is, this is for Christians and if you're a person who doesn't yet believe in Jesus again we're so glad that you're here and you can resolve that right now. You can have a conversation. You can begin a conversation with Jesus that will last a lifetime. And you can call on him as your Lord and Savior to save you from your sins. You can do that and participate in communion with us. But this time is, this time is for people who believe. This time is for those who have chosen to hedge their life on the broken body and shed blood of Jesus. Not their own bodies, not their own blood, but, th- but His. And we invite you, if you believe in Jesus, to enjoy, savor, give in to grace, the grace of these elements this morning.